welcome to the Trinity Reformed Church Podcast. Sermon by Matt Carpenter on April 3rd, Lord's Day Service. Leviticus chapter 19, Leviticus 19 beginning in verse 1, and the Lord spoke to Moses saying, speak to all the congregation of the children of Israel and say to them, you shall be holy for I the Lord your God am holy. Every one of you shall revere his mother and his father and keep my Sabbaths. I am the Lord your God. Do not turn to idols, nor make for yourselves molded gods. I am the Lord your God. Now skip down to verse 9. When you reap the harvest of your land, you shall not wholly reap the corners of your field, nor shall you gather the gleanings of your harvest. And you shall not glean your vineyard, nor shall you gather every grape of your vineyard. You shall leave them for the poor and the stranger. I am the Lord your God. You shall not steal, nor deal falsely, nor lie to one another. And you shall not swear by my name falsely, nor shall you profane the name of your God. I am the Lord. You shall not cheat your neighbor, nor rob him. The wages of him who is hired shall not remain with you all night until morning. You shall not curse the deaf, nor put a stumbling block before the blind, but shall fear your God, I am the Lord. You shall do no injustice in judgment. You shall not be partial to the poor, nor honor the person of the mighty. In righteousness you shall judge your neighbor. You shall not go about as a talebearer among your people, nor shall you take a stand against the life of your neighbor. I am the Lord. You shall not hate your brother in your heart. You shall surely... Rebuke your neighbor and not bear sin against him. You shall not take vengeance nor bear any grudge against the people, against the children of your people, but shall love your neighbor as yourself. I am the Lord. Now verse 37, the final verse of the chapter. Therefore, you shall observe all my statutes and all my judgments and perform them. I am the Lord. Let us pray. Our Father in God, may we acknowledge that you are Lord over us and submit to all your commands with joy. May the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. We like the idea of holiness in general. It's the specifics that kind of get in the way sometimes. The word holiness, which means being separated unto God for service, is appealing. In our modern day, we say something like, it's usually transferred to something like, God loves me and he's chosen me for something special. That sounds great. But holiness is more than the divine command to be nice to everybody. Holiness is trench warfare. It means living faithfully before Yahweh while surrounded by opposing nations who are in rebellion to Him. It means battling our opposition. 
whether the internal temptation to sin, that's some opposition, or the principalities and powers. This life of holiness is not flashy, but God designed it that way. He always intended his kingdom to grow slowly. One small act of obedient faith upon another, one household at a time, spreading like yeast through a loaf. His expectations are not mysterious. It's remarkable how consistent the standards are when we go from the old covenant to the new covenant. Think about in the passage we just read, how many things that we read in Leviticus are repeated by the apostles. They regularly refer to the laws given in Exodus and Leviticus for standards of how the church should live. How should we now live? The answer is read Leviticus. Before we look, though, at these laws in detail, we need to consider something about how we look at the law. God's law is good. It was good from the beginning. It was good before it was even declared unto man, and it is still good. But biblical law is not an ideology, a program that, if implemented precisely, will by itself usher in the reign of Christ. The laws of a land only reflect the heart's of the people. And the law itself cannot save. Do laws matter? Certainly. Do we need better laws? Absolutely we need better laws and we need better leaders to enforce them. But as I just said, the law cannot save. Blaming bad laws or the lack of biblical laws for our problems today is like a winless football team saying we would be undefeated if we still had the old rules of football. We should desire to live in a place where the family is protected, where the Ten Commandments are upheld and even are significantly enforced. But it's a lot easier to talk about a theocratic society, one that is openly submitted to God, than to live a theocratic life. When we talk about the society, it's about other people doing what God said. But a theocratic life means I do what God said. As Jesus said in Matthew chapter 7, beginning in verse 1, when you judge other people, be aware that the standards by which you judge others will themselves be the same standards by which you are judged. Where then does that leave us? Like Israel of old, we are surrounded by enemies. But revolution that is, the violent overturning of the social order, is not the answer. We are called to a life of warfare, but our warfare does not begin with guns, knives, and drones. The city of God expands through the patient kingdom holiness 
the kind that is called for in Leviticus as well as in Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, and the epistles. God's city grows through patient kingdom holiness. And we can see this even in the example of the church. If you were to visit the ancient church right at the time of the death of the apostle John, you would see a society that no matter what our society looks like today, you would not want to go back there and live. And then if you could see the absolute change in society by the year 500, you would be astounded. How does this happen? One family at a time. One act of faithful covenant obedience at a time. Growing exponentially. This is God's method. After Yahweh called Saul to kill the Amalekites in 1 Samuel 15, there was never again in Scripture a call to militarily conquer a people in order to expand Yahweh's territory. From that point on, it would be through the holiness of God's people, worshiping, declaring the good news, building their households and serving their neighbors. That was how the kingdom would grow. And it is still how the kingdom grows. So now let's look at this call to holiness in the trenches. The section of laws is introduced with, with this phrase, and we recognize it, I'm sure. Be holy, for I, the Lord your God, am holy. 19 verse 2. In other words, God says, you belong to me, so follow my lead. He's not demanding of Israel anything that he himself could not do. No other pagan gods could do that. Zeus would not say, follow me in the way that I live, or else they would have annihilated one another. Not to mention other worse things. And then the commands begin with the call to honor your parents. Honor your mother and father and keep my Sabbaths. And we see a phrase that's, that recurs throughout this text. I am the Lord your God. He's giving them standards because he is God. And we'll look at this in more detail in a little bit, but it's not a random thing. It's not an accident because God's law is tied to who God is. They're not arbitrary commands given. We follow his rule because he is God. And everything we see in this world, everything is because of his imprint except for the evil that exists. He goes on, and we're not going to take time in detail to look at all of these different laws. You could, and, and for all of these laws that we see, we can find a new covenant equivalent, but we don't want to be here until three, so we won't do that. We see he says, don't allow your greed to prevent the poor in society from caring for themselves. 
That was a danger then. People who were greedy, they, didn't, they would they want to glean all of their fields, take everything that they could get. And he says, no, you have to allow some for the poor to come along. Verses 9 and 10, he says, treat your workers as neighbors, not slaves, being just with them in their wages. Verse 13, don't take advantage of the handicapped because of their weakness. And don't favor the poor because of, just because of his poverty or the rich because of his strength. When it comes to judicial decisions, don't favor one over another. Do you recognize anything in what we're facing today? Leviticus still applies. We're called to love our neighbor especially fleeing bitterness when we're tempted, verses 17 and 18. We're called to maintain moral purity with our neighbors. Now, we will leave the discussion about abstaining from magic for a few weeks down the road. It's really great, though, just as a teaser. But he calls us also, he calls them to give the first fruits of their increase to God, verses 22 through 25. Show kindness to strangers, that is the sojourners who are among you, and don't cheat people monetarily, verses 33 through 36. So in this passage, we see two distinct Christian attributes that were called for among God's people here and also for us today. Those are love and holiness. They're not exclusive to the Old Testament, as I already said. Peter refers to our calling to holiness when he exhorts the church. And Peter's not the only one who does this. Paul will do it. Jesus will do it. It's referred to commonly. But, but I want to particularly look at 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 15 through 17. Actually, starting in verse 14, as obedient children, not conforming yourselves to your former lust, as in your ignorance, but as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct, because as it is written, be holy, for I am holy. And if you call on the Father, who without partiality judges according to each one's work, conduct yourselves throughout the time of your stay here in fear. So Peter quotes Leviticus 19 verse 2 in calling the church to a holy life. A life that is separated to God. Now this is not easy. Holiness is not easy. We know that we fall. We see that we fall. If you live with people, they help you to see where you have fallen. And you do likewise for them. Although it's not something you should make a purposeful practice of, reminding everyone else where they are not holy. We, though, have what something Israel did not have, and that is we have the work of Christ, which is what Peter goes on to say in the very next verse. After he's told them to be holy, to conduct yourselves without fear, he said, knowing, verse 18, that you were not redeemed with corruptible things like silver or gold from the aimless, con from the aimless tradition received, conduct received by the tradition of your fathers, but with the precious blood of Christ. 
all those old covenant offerings, everything that they had that was given to them for a time, they're going to point to what's coming in the future. And the one who's coming in the future will help them to no longer be God's people be caught in the old ways. But they're going to be brought into a new way. But this new way is not overturning the old law. It's revitalizing the law. It's giving them what they didn't have in the past. Because Jesus purchased and adopted us, we can stand as God's holy people in the world. So what's the difference between you and the ancient Jews? It's not that you're better. It's not that you're wiser. It's that you have to look back now on the atoning work of Christ. You have the Spirit of God dwelling in you who indeed empowers you to do all things that before the people could not. So that is the call to holiness, but also love is the motivation and the display of our holy calling. So holiness is being separated to God. Love is the motivation and the demonstration of this calling. Jesus summarized the commands in the old covenant this way. He said, love God with all your heart, soul, and mind. And love your neighbor as yourself. On these hang the law and the prophets. Matthew 22, 38 through 40. So Jesus said, do you want to fulfill the law? Let me make it easy. Love God with all your heart, soul, mind. Love your neighbor as yourself. That's it. It's not mysterious. It's not hard to figure out. It's not easy to do. But it's clear. And Paul says the same thing. Romans chapter 13, verses 8 through 10. Owe no man anything but to love one another. For he that, loveth has, he that loveth another has fulfilled the law. For this, thou shalt not commit adultery, thou shalt not kill, thou shalt not steal, thou shalt not bear false witness, thou shalt not covet. And if there be any other commandment, it is briefly comprehended in this saying, namely, thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. Love worketh no ill toward his neighbor. Therefore, love is the fulfilling of the law. So what does it look like to fulfill God's law? It looks like love. You say, how do I love? You do these things for others. You do this for God. One main purpose of the law, and this is one we often overlook, it has always been to teach us how to love God. The law is not a ladder that we climb that if we can ever just get to that top rung and pull ourselves up, then we can see the glorious vision of God. And we can say when we get there, good job, me, I've done pretty well. No, it's not like that at all. Love is demonstrated by our works. But the law itself is a teacher. Paul calls it that in Galatians. It's not an angry teacher, 
but it's not the teacher that we can rely on to bring us to the place where we need to be. Because if, if all the law is, is the latter, then eventually we think, after I check off all these boxes, I've done everything, <laughs> I'm pretty holy. You know, imitate me as I've imitated Christ. With pride. No, Paul could say that while in the same breath saying, I am the chief of sinners. Love does not end when we fulfill the law. It begins when we fulfill the law. That's the starting point. Fulfilling Leviticus and the commands of the apostles is where we begin. Jesus says this very thing. Matthew chapter 5, verses 40 through 42. If a man compels you with, by the law to go with him one mile, go with him two. If he sues you at the law for your coat, give him your cloak also. Jesus said, oh, all right, you're going to fulfill the law? Great, that's a good start. Keep on going. So this brings us back then to the law itself. If the law is our way of salvation, then we can never do it. It's just a pile of rules, and it seems like I can never make it. And if we're honest, we know we don't ever make it. We never do it all right. But it's not just a list of rules. The law is the revelation of the nature of God who he is, and the way he made the world. The law bears the imprint of our creator. It's not a mountain. That was Sinai. The law is the path we follow to the divine joy that is God himself. That path is illuminated by his spirit and motivated by supernatural hope that though we may fall, He will not let go of us. In His law, we learn what He loves, what He hates, and how to be like Him. Holiness in the trenches, obeying God daily, is not a slog that we grind through on our own. It's the way God works in us revealing where we need to grow and using us to minister His grace to others. You see, when we fulfill the law, when we operate in love towards other people, we're not just doing one good turn for someone. We are ministering the very grace of God to that person. You're doing things that physically you can't see. And you're doing things for them that go beyond any gratitude that they could give. You are a steward of the very treasures from heaven. And everything you do from offering a cup of water to someone all the way to giving your life for the kingdom is a ministry of grace. When we follow him through his law, we enter the way of blessing and participate in the reordering of the world in submission to God. Holiness in the trenches is loving God and our neighbor. 
Because we are at war, the way is not easy. But every time you love your neighbor, you, you sacrifice what you want for what God wants, you are taking part in, the expand, in expanding the rule of Christ to earth as it is in heaven. Let us pray. Our Father, we thank you for the gift of your law, for revealing to us the way through Christ, for making known what is good. May we walk in it, not in our own strength, but walking in the Spirit and faithfully follow you to your everlasting kingdom. In Christ's name, amen. Thanks for listening. If you want to find out more, check out our website at trinityreformedkirk.com. That's trinityreformedkirk.com. Thank you.